Hey guys, bonus episode of the Joshi Pod, and there's only one person I should talk to today. And the reason I should talk to him, we'll get into it in a minute, but uh, you'll, you're going to hear the reason why he's the person I should talk to today. Justin Nipper, welcome to the Joshi Pod. His song, by the way, guys, is the opening song. He's the Joshi Pod theme at the start of every episode. He's the one that produced that for me. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks, Eric. Nice to see you one year later. Yes. So... I met Justin, of all places, it's a small world. It's a small building. Ichigai at Chocolate Square. That's right. <laughs> Very small building. We just, so ha- we just so happened to be in the same place at the same time. And we ended up at Ichigai at Chocolate Square to see a Gato Move show. What, what, right. brought you, what brought you to Ichigai at Chocolate Square? Uh, my two feet. <laughs> no, I, well, I was in town... I was in Japan during that time anyway, so I was going to a few shows while I was in town. Um, my wife was doing some stuff, and while she was doing work-related stuff, I was doing my own quote-unquote work-related stuff, going <laughs> to shows and covering shows. But yeah, it, got, it, just, it was a, a show that was on a free day uh, in my schedule, and I'd always liked to go. I'd always liked to have seen Chocolate Square uh, actually, the first show I had ever seen in Japan was a Gato Move show, but that was in 2014. But it wasn't at Chocolate Square. It was a, it was like a, a joint show with LLPW, and it was at uh, Kandori's Dojo. Mm. Kandori's Dojo. So it had a totally different vibe. Chocolate Square, I mean, it was just, to me, in my head, it, it's something I always saw and go, wow, that's a really cool place to do wrestling. There's so many little things you can change up and, and freshen up about the uh, style uh, and you can make it your own like the girls did at the show we went to and you reviewed that for a website correct yeah yeah i, I did a write-up on fightgamemedia.com for it um it was just it was cool and emmy ahead of the time i asked you know i inquired about press and she was great she was awesome and mm-hmm. accommodating i'm actually i'm holding you can't see it, but I'm holding the pen she lent me that day to take my notes. I, it's Miami Sakura pen. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a white, uh, I'll, I'll send you a picture later. It's just a, it was funny because I had everything, but for some reason, I think my pen fell out on the subway. So I asked her if she had a pen, and, but it was really bad timing because people were about to enter the show. So she ran into the office and she grabbed a huge handful of pens and she goes, here you go. More or less. She's like, here, I got to go. She didn't say it like that, but that was, I was very uh, impressed with her, uh, her prompt, uh, prompt, accurate and abundant pen, pen thing <laughs> that she gave me. If- I was impressed. It was cool. Really you're, cool. you're actually in the background of like almost every picture I've taken because we were like kind of catty quarter to each other. So you're in the background of almost every single picture I took uh, during the post-show talk and stuff. Oh, yeah, because I was kind of behind the sound soundboard. Yeah, and I was kind of over by the entrance to the door. Right, so, right. So, yeah, you're like, you're like, seriously, in every single picture, you're, oh, you're, God. you're in the background back there. 
I'm really sorry about that. That's, no, it makes it for a cool story because who would have known? Yeah, I didn't know you. You know, we didn't know each other at the moment. So, it, so. it's cool. Like that that place. Like even where you were sitting, where you you have more room. You don't have room. Like no yeah. matter where you are, there's it's just it's so tight. And where Amy put me, she I was I wanted to stay away because I'm trying to watch it, like watch everything in, in the crowd too. But I mean at Chocolate Square, you're you are in the crowd. You, you're part of the show sometimes. I don't know if you remember, but during um, May Suruga's match with uh, Takanishi, he, she did a rope break, but she, she just grabbed my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was writing and I was all you know, flustered and I, I thought she was giving me a handshake. So I was saying, you grow school in a nice moss. And she was like, break. <laughs> yeah, it was a, the show was great. The show was great. Do you have any memories of it? Particular I, memories of the matches? I do because Emmy saw me and saw that I had a Bull Nakano t-shirt on. And she first she asked my name. And then she asked me who my favorite wrestler was. And she was trying to do her introduction in English a little bit. Uh, talking to me quite a bit. Like looking at me and talking to me. And I felt embarrassed. I was like, no, just do your show in Japanese. It's fine. It's fine. But no, she kept trying to, to talk to me in, in English, which was nice, you know. And then when she asked who my favorite wrestler was, I said, Bull Nakano. And she was like, okay, you know, she's like, Bull's finisher? I'm like, yeah, I guess, or Bull submission, something like that, she said. And she's like, the guys are too big, I can't do it. So we'll find somebody to do it. So she ended up having Saki do it on to Mitsuru. Oh, yeah, okay. During the show, and Saki, like, just looked at me and smiled and, and, huh. and you know, just the, the personal... You know, that's, that's Shichikaya, right? But it was, it was extra special for me, I thought, because, you know, they, they catered to me, which is embarrassing, but nice at the same time, you know? So it, it was, that's my biggest memory of that show. It's total Japanese-style customer service. It's pure fan service, pure customer service. They're just, she's great about that. And there are other, uh, a lot of Joshi companies and other smaller indie companies that you probably went to, you probably got that vibe too, yeah? Like, mm -hmm very they're coming to impress you like there, there's i don't know how the translation exactly goes but there's a saying in japanese that translates essentially to the customer is god yeah and that's what i lines. that's what i talk about a lot too it's it's customer service yeah you know yeah. it's 100 percent customer service and they they take care of their customers and with the meet and greets and all that kind of stuff it's it's customer service it's and it's it's pretty basic in a way but it's something that goes a long way when you when you do it right yeah, and I think just the phrase that we have to use in English, customer service, we have a, a connotation in our head. Mm -hmm. like it means something different. It, and it, I think what we're talking about, it's like the main priority for a lot of the entertainment companies and a lot of wrestling companies is making the fans happy, especially if it's in a small place. I mean, you kind of have to. You, we're essentially breathing on each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of what keeps those the companies afloat in Japan is they usually have uh, – hardcore following that they're really loyal and they spend money and mm -hmm. they keep those companies floating upwards. So I think there's no other choice really, but for Emmy's group and other groups to treat the fans with that much respect. But I don't feel like I'm a, a quote unquote Mark when I'm there either. You know, sometimes you go to shows other places, you feel like a Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't feel like anybody's trying to hide anything from us. Yeah. At, at, well, let's just use Gato Move for mm -hmm. for example. Like, it's a really different experience than any other wrestling show that I've been to. It's 
I mean, it's definitely wrestling, but it's also like, like you can't lie <laughs> when you're performing at Chocolate Square, but because you're the the match with Takanishi and Mei Suga was so technically sound, and me being able to watch it so closely made me appreciate so much more uh, the craft of what both of them were doing, especially Takanishi, who was really technically sound. You're seeing the impact. You're seeing how uh, holds and sequences are supposed to look, especially we've seen tons of wrestling, watched tons of wrestling. Mm-hmm. We know how things should look or shouldn't look kind of by instinct. Most fans do, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you watch a lot of wrestling. You, when you see it so closely and how accurate and crisp and real, not real, but really talented it is, uh, it makes you appreciate it so much more. I, I, and it's... I don't know how to describe the venue other than it's just like an old office building that has a mat, right? It's yeah. like a, there's, a, there's a kitchen, which you can see probably like beyond, if you're watching the match, if you just pop your head up, you can probably see the kitchen and sink nearby. And um, how, like, could you compare it to any like office space, like a size, like a square meter? It's quite small. It's very small. It, and it wouldn't pass a fire code in America. <laughs> No way, no way. <laughs> but the, another cool thing about the experience too is that it has kind of a, a storefront, a shop front. So you get a lot of people just walking by, checking it out. Uh, so they're trying to, it seems like they're always trying to appeal to the casual fan too. Like it's very inviting ultimately. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So then after the show, uh, I'm standing out front, kind of, I guess they, they, they kind of clear everybody out. And then they set up for merchandise after they clear everybody out. They, they set up the, the same room. They take the mat up and put the tables down to set up for merchandise. And that's when Emmy was outside and, and you and I ran into each other outside as well. We introduced ourselves to each other and, and you greeted Emmy after the show as well. And, and uh, that's when I had my chat with her. And I don't know if you remember that or not, but I, you probably don't. I don't think she remembers, but. <laughs> I remember it clearly actually and i've been kind of waiting to for a chance to talk to you in person about it but because i heard on at least one or two your pod at least one of the joshi pod podcasts from a couple months ago i think he told the story and the way he told the story i was listening to it i remember i was walking home from the grocery store and i'm like the way he told it was exactly 1000 percent how it happened (laughs) like so whoever's listening out there eric is like that's not just like some nice like story to sound that it really happened. I, I, I know where I was standing. You were standing to my left and he was on my right and you were really impressed with the show. And you said, you, I thought you were being polite. Like, I, I really want to get involved. I don't remember exactly what you said, but you wanted to get involved and do something with Joshi wrestling. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And then a month later you had the podcast going. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then before we started, I'm, looking at all your shows that you've done in the past years. Holy, this, this is the real deal. And it started at September 13th, back to the show. Yeah, and I, what I told Emmy was, I'm going to find a way to tell the world about Gato Move. And her instant answer was, how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know yet, but I'm going to find a way to do it. <laughs> but would you say, I mean, since that show till now, I would say it got to move slash Chuckle Pro slash uh, Amy and Riho. Like, 
the popularity or just at least general awareness is a lot higher than it was when we were at that show, right? Oh, night and day difference, I think. Night night and, and, especially, especially internationally, night and day difference. I mean, it has to be AEW. That's the first thing that really brought everything. It has to be, right? But I think from that show, there was a little buzz because people talk because they put on good shows. And I remember I heard that when uh, it was in January, when everybody went to go see a Tokyo Dome show, people would stay for the week and go around Tokyo and watch different shows. And a lot of people went to uh, Chocolate Square and I heard it was like 60, 70% foreigners at couple of the shows mm-hmm. so it's interesting because it's appealing to a certain market of wrestling fan that wants something alternative or wants to check out something that's really not the norm um which is cool and it's, it's cool that we have that other flavor available and i think they were ahead of the curve too as far as having english content because they had pumi doing the commentary on um on youtube Mm-hmm. And then I think Aki being there now is uh, a wonderful uh, tool for them to use, not only as a performer, but as a, as a person who can instantly interpret and translate for them and put do shows on YouTube and stuff and, and translate and put out English content. Because that's what I told Emmy, too, when I met with her this past March. She's asking me, you know, Eric, this was off, off mic. She's like with Aki. She's like, Eric, what, what should we be doing? to 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 grow our company and i just told her keep pumping out english content and, i agree and um they have i mean i'm not taking credit for anything because i'm sure she already yeah. had all that in her mind or whatever but um and it's funny because i was there in march and i got to go to the the other side of ichigaya chocolate square into the back room and do some interviews and stuff Ooh. yeah emmy emmy let me in so emmy i, I think the kitchen yeah she let me in to to interview some of her people so you know, she, she's done a whole lot for the podcast, which one, she inspired the podcast and two, she, she opened her door to me to be able to interview her talent at their facility. So it was uh, nothing but gratitude for, for Emmy uh, as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, and that was even before Chuck Pro. I mean, that was right when the pandemic was hitting. I wasn't even sure I was going to get home or not. But uh, yeah, that's even before Chuck Pro. So I'm looking forward to talking to her again about Chuck Pro, about the pivot from got to move to Chaco Pro but yeah no that that was a special day and uh we, we got to meet and we talked about meeting at the stardom show you were going to introduce me to Fumi Saito at the stardom show that's right so that was the last September's the uh, Cinderella five star grand uh, five star grand prix right mm-hmm. it was the final show and I saw you before the show and I was mm-hmm. Fumi there and we we waited around we waited around for sure we were waiting for you right next to TGA Fridays in front of the, um, in front of the entrance. But I th- it was a while. And I think I talked later and you said you waited until the end when all the, like you were waiting to meet Hana and all the other stars. I think there was a line. Yeah. I, I yeah. really wanted to meet Hana Kimura that day. Yeah. I wish I had your number. I could have like seen what was up, but we were just, yeah, we, we had bounds. That's but, okay. No, that's what, no, Next time, I, I felt sure. guilty. I felt guilty at the time, but in hindsight, I'm, I'm very thankful for what I did. Oh, it, absolutely. I, I know what you mean. That was a great show too. I learned a lot at that show. Um, I got to meet, I got to meet Rossi briefly right before uh, everybody was great. And there's a huge difference when you go to a stardom show, at least last year, com- uh, stardom compared to the other companies right now, other Joshi companies, the production level 
just not talking about the wrestling, just talking about like production and like programming. There's definitely like a much, much more professional vibe uh, over in stardom. And I think that's uh, one of their huge benefits with the company is that it's really presentable. Whereas there's other companies that are in Japan right now, they're great and the product is great, but um, the way they run, it's just short staffed. They're not big productions. So it's really hard to get all those materials that you really need, those items and elements that you need to make the show uh, not just good, but uh, presentable and presentable around the globe too. Like you were saying with English, Dude, I think that's so, I think it's so, so important with Japanese wrestling right now. And it's tough because Japanese along with like Finnish and Hungarian are the three hardest languages to learn. It's not, it's not a language that unfortunately, I wish it was a romance language where you can kind of just jump in and people kind of get at least more vibes of what's going on. But the barrier of English is huge. So the fact that Katamu was using Pumi and now Bali, and they're just going for more international things. Um, it's important if people, or rather if companies want to grow outside of Japan. And I think having, uh, like for Ice Ribbon, they have Yappy there, who's bilingual as well. Mm. And she's she's a value, I think, to Ice Ribbon as well. I, I really think that every company should try, I mean, it's easier said than done, but to find somebody that can can you know, be the bilingual person to, to help if, if they want to grow internationally. Some people are happy just being what they are, right? right. But if they, if they want, if they have aspirations to grow internationally and, and do that kind of thing, then I, I think they need to find a, a tool, a, an American or English, not even be an American, just an English speaking tool to help them. Uh, and I hate to say tool, that's not probably not the right word, but you know. I know what you mean. Like, yeah. I, it's tough because it, I, I don't want to just boil it down to uh, more companies need to get uh, more English uh, English language program. It's because it's it really isn't that easy to come by in Japan. Or if it is, it could be a pain in the ass. Or if it is, it could be really expensive. And smaller companies are not going to spend money on that. Like that's not what a company that is drawing two, three hundred people per show. They're not thinking about these huge marketing campaigns. They're just trying to get people in the door. So like, it, it's a it's an issue. But I think. It's going to be one that's going to have to be solved over the years. It's not going to be like snap. Mm-hmm. I think bigger companies like New Japan might have to kind of set the tone, introduce ideas. I don't know. But again, that's why I think Emmy's again ahead of the curve. You know, she Agreed, she's, yeah. she's she's made it work. You know, quickly and successfully. I think. I mean, they're not gang like sure making money hand over fist, but they're they're surviving. You know, they're they're putting on multiple shows a week and. You see the donations online they're getting and Patreons and all that kind of stuff as well. So they are, they've got something special going there. They're surviving, yeah. And it's cool. They, they're tearing up their own path. It's, they, it's the Gato Move slash Chuckle Pro slash Amy Sakura path. I like that. Like Amy and Kikutaro and Kyoko Kimura and a lot of the other like nomadic wrestlers who went all over the world. They went all over... Japan, but they went to Mexico and they went to the States and they, they learned how to apply what's going on to the scene today. And you can tell who's been around the block and you can tell um, which companies kind of want to stay like how it is right now. And there are companies that got to move that want to push forward and, and just try new stuff. And 
try to make people happy in different ways. Yeah, and I find it interesting because I've talked to, I, I've tried to help some people set up uh, pro wrestling tea stores here in the States. Like, well, I don't want any money from them or anything. I'm just trying to help them make some extra money, you know, just, you know, suggesting and talk to them about it. And some of them are just seem so against, you know, even doing something like that to even having a pro wrestling tea store to, to make some extra money that way. Yeah, I think I'm sure it's case by case and like each company I'm sure has a certain kind of rule for the wrestler that I, I don't know. It, it depends company to company. Some companies might make the merchandise for their talent. So they're only allowed to uh, get a percentage of the company's merchandise. I'm just speculating too. Yeah, and even, and even like some of the, uh, the freelancers and stuff are kind of just skeptical. I think in, in, <laughs> that's one thing I've learned doing the podcast is earning trust over there too, for, for people who yeah. are skeptical, you know, so it's uh, it, which I, again, I totally understand why they're skeptical in, in, in this and that, but uh, yeah, it, it'd be nice for them to, I want to, I'm selfishly wanting to do it because I want to buy their t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the whole, the bigger idea of just having uh, companies like got to move and other Japanese companies becoming more accessible. It's going to have to start from the top somewhere like AEW or new Japan or WWE. It's going to have to, like, it has to start somewhere with uh, a budget and then it has to be established over a couple of years. And I think when, there's like a safety net created. I think that's when the smaller companies will eventually, I mean, I hope we're going to be at a point where there's more English or more foreign language translation. But then again, there are a lot of foreigners that are, you know, studying and learning Japanese and I'm trying to do that. And I, you know, I suck at Japanese. It's really hard, but there is like a need for, the information to be out there in English and to be correct, because unfortunately we have this, the internet, the wrestling internet has, I, I started using it like 1999 to like the early two thousands. Okay. So we're about 20 years of history on the internet. And when you dive into history of the smaller companies around Japan, it, it starts to get murky. And then when you read it, the Japanese and you compare it to what was written in English, it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. So like the narrative that a lot of people think about, I'm, I'm being very like uh, general here, mm -hmm. but basically I think what I'm trying to say is that if the correct ideas are out there in English, I think people you know, will have at least a better idea or grasp on what's not what's going on in Japan, but how Japanese fans see it. I think, Fans in the States or fans overseas and fans in Japan see something like Got to Move, they see it from like two sides, but they're different sides. And I think with the English translations, you can kind of bridge the gap and end up enjoying stuff like that more with a little bit of Japanese literacy or uh, English info or something. It's just tough and it's a lot of uh, legwork and these companies don't have that many people. It's great that Bali is there for uh, got to move. That helps a lot. I think that if I spoke Japanese, my podcast would have been so much more than it is. You know, it's that language barrier for me and the trust barrier for me, the, just sending requests to people and having them not sound silly or whatever, you know, it, it was a challenge for me. And, and 
but I, I wish I spoke Japanese and it's my fault for not speaking Japanese. But uh, yeah, but again, on the, on the other side of that, because I was reading online all the stuff and, and reading Wikipedia and now finding out by talking to these people, I was reading their Wikipedia on that their Wikipedia is wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, that's that, what happens. Yeah. So I, I've been trying. That's one of the reasons I, I pushed to go get a Narissa Nakajima on the show or to get, you know, other people, um, Bull Nakano on the show and, and different people to, to talk and, and, you know, tell us their real history. Tell us, you know, exactly what, uh, you know, Tsukasa Fujimoto, find out exactly, you know, from, from their mouths, exactly, you know, how they got, you know, into the, the business of wrestling and why they got into the business of wrestling and, and not just read it on uh, the English speaking Wikipedia, which is wrong. <laughs> Yeah, Wikipedia is going to be, that's going to be what it is. You can't trust it. And it's cool that, it's beyond cool that you're getting wrestlers like Nakajima and Tsukasa, Fujimoto, because like in the 90s, the golden silver age or whatever you want to call it with Aja Kong and Manami Toyota, we, no one really had like an in to what the wrestlers were thinking. Nobody we were just watching the wrestling mm. simply, but I mean, imagine having the wrestling and having the ability to absorb podcasts and, and really get the full stories of what's going on. I think it's like watching TV in black and white versus watching TV in HD. It's the same thing, but if you, you get those little bits of information, if you understand them, it really helps enhance your experience and you have a great time. Uh, and I think what you're doing is so, like, it's really important. Like, you don't have to be, like, a journalist or anything. It's just you're talking to the people and you're getting the answers. And that's we're going to need that in the future. It's, it's cool for now and we're learning about them now. But I think this podcast is really cool because we'll, we'll always have it. So, like, people like me, like writers, I'll have to use this. I want to use resources like this instead of having to translate uh, old articles or like, you know, just generally use Japanese when I don't have to. But um, other than that, yeah. No, I appreciate cool you saying that. No, no, no. It, it, but yeah, it was, it, but it's been a challenge, you know, because um, Joshi politics is real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and kayfabe is real, still in Japan as well, too. And uh, I, I started this podcast with zero contacts. I mean, I had no contacts at all, you know, so it, it's been, uh, I, I, I'm trying to lay the groundwork for somebody after me to do it better than me, <laughs> you know, to open the door a little bit. So other people who are more talented than I am can, can uh, push through and, and do it better. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's like that. I, dude, you did a great job, but I think the thing that I love the most is that you present Joshi wrestling seriously in a serious way and not in an overly serious way I, like some of the matches that I've seen the past couple just in the past couple of years not over my life but just in the past couple of years some of the best wrestlers in the world are over there right now it really I'm not exaggerating I'm not mm -hmm. it's like you've seen it man it's they're very good and it's a different style sometimes and I think the only way people are going to take it seriously is if we have uh, serious platforms for it. And I think people like Asuka and Kairi Sane are doing great things for Joshi. Seems like it through WWE, but for the hard facts, we need this podcast and I, it's good. And I, I hope people uh, 
I don't, I don't like what you said about, you're good, man. You don't have to uh, get anybody to improve. Just keep doing it. I've actually decided to stop doing it. What? At the end of next month. Is this a news drop right now? No, I actually posted something a little bit earlier this week on Twitter, like in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, dude, what a bummer. Yeah, it's becoming, I mean, I have a day job. I have a 40-hour week day job. At least 40 hour a week. I'm a salaried employee, so it's at least 40 hours a week. Right. But, uh, and it's just, it's getting difficult finding uh, people to come on. And the, the point where I'm talking to them is fun, but the, the, the fight, not the fight, but just the, the PR part of it. Yeah, that's, it, it's time consuming and it's, you know, it's, it's difficult. And, and one of the problems for myself, I, I, I'll admit, I set the bar pretty high pretty early. And for me to try to keep getting people that are the quality that I, I think I should get, it's, it's uh, taking a toll on me. So I'm going to at least take a break, at least take a break and maybe figure something else out later. But yeah, my, my plan is to do it. The, the, it launched October 31st of last year. I'm going to have it this run end on October 31st of this year. You want to hear something really funny? That's when my wife and I got married. That's our <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, then we'll celebrate, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you've done a lot, like in the past year, like I said. So, and I th- it is important whether whether you stop or not. It's like people, not just me, but I, like I know if I'm going to write certain articles that I've been kind of thinking in my head in the future, I know I'll have to go back and listen to some of your episodes because that is going to be the main English source. That's really important because there just aren't. Any. I was kind of speaking, you know, Farah. Uh, she's been on your show mm-hmm. Japan times. We were kind of talking about that. It's just, there's not, there's a lot of info out there. There's a lot of, it's a lot of info, but there's just not enough English uh, to keep up. With it, so. it, it's difficult to monetize too. I mean, for as much effort and time as you're going to put into to doing something like that. I mean, it's, it's hard to monetize it. I've made $0 doing this podcast, like $0. So, you, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work to make zero dollars for as well. It's a passion project. I mean, yeah, I, you got, you got cred, I think. I mean, this is it. This is, this is the, the Joshi pod, uh, <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> but you know what I mean? As far as, you know, for, Absolutely. you know, cause it, it, part of it's not gotten fun. You know, the, the part of chasing people down is not fun for me right now. So if, if I'm going to do something not fun, I'm going to work my 40 <laughs> Week job, <laughs> you know, and, and it's 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 just difficult. It's it's I, I don't want to end it, but my mental health probably needs it for needs a break at least for a little bit. Well, you know, it's also a very strange time for for wrestling in general. There's just not that much going on in Japan. I think it's busier than other places, but it's exhausting. I tell you what, it's for sure. But. Yeah, and, and also coordinating interpreters and all that kind of stuff too at the same times and the, the time difference and all that good stuff too. It just it's uh it's just a lot. It's a lot to a lot to do. Well, I'm sure after a break you'll feel refreshed and come back and you'll interview, you know, Hiro to Sakura. Because <laughs> you have to at least do that one before you uh <laughs> before you hang it up. That's that's the one I'm waiting for. There's a few people coming up that yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting that I've agreed to do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go out with a bang. So there's going to be some pretty uh, talented people here in this next month or so. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. 
so no, enough about me and <laughs> talking mm -hmm. about my own podcast on the podcast. <laughs> this is the origin story though. This is important. That's true. And then it's the person that was there when the, uh, when it started too. So yeah, I was the witness. <laughs> I'll sign whatever I need to sign. <laughs> yeah. I, sometimes I think people like are thinking I'm BSing them when I say the story to them. It was like, no, no it, it's real. No, the way you described it on that one podcast was like very, very accurate. It, it, I would give you a Pulitzer, <laughs> I could, but I can't, but it, yeah, it happened. And Emmy was there too. So we and were Emmy, also talking about uh, Emmy's career for a little bit too. Like, yeah. Um, talking about, she was, she started with FMW as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I interrupted. What were you going to say? No, when I went, when I went back there this past March and I interviewed Emmy in, at uh, Ichigaya, that I told her the story and she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> ah, she's humble. No, no, she, I don't think she remembers. And I don't blame her for remembering. I'm uh, sure a thousand people have come up, told her all kinds of crazy things, but she just looked at me like, what? Whatever. <laughs> Which I loved. I loved she's it. She's awesome. Yeah, she's I best. loved it. <laughs> so Justin, how did you, how did you get into wrestling? How was, how did wrestling become a uh, part of your life? How did it infect you? Uh, young age. Uh, I, I don't have any specific memories, but uh, my first, the first show I went to was in 91. I went with my dad, my brother, and my friends from across the street, Lamont and Lamont Jr. And we caught a show at the Knickerbocker Arena. And it was supposed to be headlined by Sergeant Slaughter versus Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan, no shit, or not no shit, he canceled. Uh, and at the time, I was very young, I didn't understand that. But uh, after further reading, I, I kind of understood the story more clearly. And I was more sour later, but that's neither here nor there. So that was the first show. But yeah, wrestling was always kind of around uh, in my life on the TV Saturday mornings. My dad liked it. I liked it. Um, but the earliest memories were... Like, well, hold on. You said Knicker, Knickerbock Arena. That's in New York, right? Yeah, Albany, New York. That's so, where I grew up. Uh, Schenectady, Albany, New York. So that's a whole lot of WWE land, right? It was, and, and still is, uh, completely WWE territory. Because uh, I'm surprised you know Knickerbocker. I don't know, it's called Times Union Center now. But um, that was, I think it opened in 1990. And WWF was one of the first companies to do shows there uh, when it opened. There were some car shows, like fancy car shows. And I remember there were WWE shows to WF. And, yep. You know what's funny? I'm going to go on a tangent here a little bit. Go for it. Is that because of wrestling, I think my sense of geography is expanded <laughs> more than most people is. Yeah. Yeah, you I, know? I think <laughs> to an extent mine too, or maybe we had an advantage over other people in school. Like we knew where Nutley, New Jersey is. <laughs> but we knew, where, we knew where Samoa was and Tonga was and Japan was. <laughs> You know, and Samoa is it, like the only people who know. No, it's not the only people who know about Samoa. Uh, wrestling fans tend to know about Samoa more quickly, and football fans do too. But yeah, Samoa's wrestling territory. And that's what I always talk about, like you know, just in just body parts too. Just hearing Gorilla Monsoon talking about body parts and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's just like, yeah, I know more about the human anatomy than than the average person because I watch wrestling. Yeah, and who would know what a solar plexus is otherwise? <laughs> Trapezoids or, and stuff. When I was a kid, side salto. I liked <laughs> I liked side salto, and I love actually kind of about 
okay, about New or Japanese wrestling. Okay, I, I watched. They were a WCW Starcade. They had the WCW guys. That was an early memory. But to tie it to what we're talking about now, there was this New Japan official video release that was it had English commentary with Gordon Soley on it. Like, mm-hmm. Jimmy Snook was on the cover. I rented it when I was at my grandma's house, and it was all Gordon Soley calling matches, and he would say "souple." Yep. He would say, yeah, you knew that was coming. You knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, but at a young age, man, that was funny when I was a kid. I was like, why is he saying it like that? But, you know, we learn a lot about uh, linguistics, geography. Wrestling has a lot going on. I mean, Gato Move has even more. Physics, yeah. jumping out of the windows. <laughs> I'm waiting for their battle royal to get, you know, when they start throwing people out the windows. <laughs> Yeah, a Royal, a Royal Rumble would be fun too. Just seeing and just like standing outside, like when people are in line, just like <laughs> that could be they're a never to be called hazard. on the street. <laughs> yeah, like I think some fans might get taken out if that were the case. <laughs> I think they'd love it. Some of those fans that are there every show would probably love it. That's true too. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they they the laugh place. now when they get kicked. They love when they get kicked. That's true. I think in Japan, fans are. Uh, they indulge the wrestlers more if they want to go in the crowd and, and get rowdy because that's been the tradition. But um, actually, okay, here's a story from around this time last year. I was at a, a show in Shinjuku Face, Tokyo Championship Wrestling. It's Jimmy Suzuki. You know, Jimmy Suzuki, the photographer, it's his company. Mm-hmm. And they did a show and uh, Leatherface was on the card. Whoever's <laughs> doing Leatherface now. And the guy doing Leatherface, he had a a chainsaw that was working, he ran right into the second row. He, like, they, people loved it. I didn't love it. I was very scared. I was very scared, to be honest with you. I, I jumped. I, I, well, I didn't jump. I kind of stood up uh, really quickly and moved. But, uh, I mean, this guy had his chainsaw, and uh, the promoter's mother was sitting in the front row, and he was going to take her head off. That's, like, the, the line is uh, blurred to say the least, over there. where I, don't, I just don't think that would ever, ever, ever fly here. In Mexico, it's kind of the same way, too, because uh, the lucha shows, they do flips and fly. You know, they, they do lucha stuff, right? Mm. And they'll land in the second and third row, like right on top of people. They don't care. Nobody's being sued down there. That's true. Well, I think with what I've seen in Mexico, like the wrestlers and the fans, it's more like hockey. Like, we'll let you guys fight until it's gone too far. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a little more competitive between talent fans security and so on where in japan there's people getting really excited that they're about to die <laughs> you should watch some old big japan like 1995 96 uh, uh videos where like leatherface and whomever were chasing people around with the chainsaw with the sparks going off and people just move in a swarm and they run from their seats and it's one of those big open kind of gymnasium venues and they're just running in a pack from <laughs> Leatherface. I'm like, this is just a horror movie. This, and it's beyond, not beyond wrestling. It's just wrestling with a really different flavor. You know, Brody's nailed some people with a chain before and, and Hanson's hit people with a cowbell, I'm sure, before. Yeah, yeah. Sabu would punch people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was fire with the Sheik, Mr. Pogo. <laughs> I, but I hope things eventually clear up so uh, people can go back and visit and enjoy wrestling in Japan. Yeah. It's really, if you're a fan, 
if you're already a, a Japanese wrestling fan, mark it on your list. It, I'm not even, it, I, it sounds cliche maybe, but if you're missing out if you don't go, because once you go there, something clicks and you under, understand it more, but you feel it on a deeper level. Oh yeah. And, and I tell people the same way and people are like, Oh, I'll never be able to go. I was like, yeah, when I was young and broke, I never went either. So I just, you know, I worked and worked and worked and, and saved my money and, you know, and, and got to go finally, you know? So I was where those people were at now, the people that, you know, I, I interact with on Twitter and stuff like, Oh, it's never going to happen. It's never, it's unrealistic. I'm like, no, you know, make it happen. I think, I think it's also because it's such a far away culture too. It's, it's far, but it's not that far, but it's so different from a lot of other cultures. So it's easy to get like bogged down and go, man, I got to learn a lot of stuff. That's what like, I feel like it might feel like I have to learn about not just the language, but cultural separations of the tickets. Airplanes are really, they're never cheap. And if you live on the East coast, it's like, it's an entirely different yeah. bag because you're adding, in, I don't know, eight extra hours to your trip. Um, but people can do it. I mean, not now. Don't go now. Yeah. But uh, back then, and hopefully in the future. Well, no, I was looking at I was looking at vacations a couple of years ago because I just gone to Japan, so I was like, eh, maybe I'm looking somewhere else to go on vacation. And like, it was cheaper to go to Tokyo than it was to New York City for hotels and all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's like I might as well just go back to Japan again. Well, okay, actually, this is relevant because the time that you and I went last year, we chose uh, my wife and I chose to go to Japan because of the plane tickets, because they were cheaper, because in Japan at that time it was something called Silver Week. It's kind of like a four-day, a short or long weekend thing. Basically, people are going out of Tokyo. They're going on you know day trips. They're going to Hakone, to the hot spring. Or, so for some reason, like Silver Week area or Golden Week in May, April, May, those prices are lower than usual for if you're coming into Tokyo, if you're coming into Japan, because uh, Japanese citizens are going to Okinawa and other nice places, they're just going out of Tokyo because they live there. So yeah, I flew on September 11th last year, and I mean, it sounds terrible, but the rates were cheaper on September 11th than they were the 10th or the 12th. I think we might have as well. I, I'm not sure, but it had to have been uh, something similar. We, yeah. we had, I just got there that day, and we stayed in Okubo, and my wife went to go do something, and I went to. Ichigaya, it's all neurotic and flustered. Oh, I'm going to be late. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I miss it. I, miss, I want to go back soon. Me too. I should be there now. I was going to go back again this month to go see the five-star finals again. That was going to be, that was like turned into my goal was to go see the five-star finals every year. Yeah, the five-star was, it was cool. I, I, I wrote something up on Fight Game for that show as well. I remember writing it in a haze on the plane back to states and i was typing it on an ipad so uh i think it's good i think but it was a good show and it was the last time you saw hana kimura yeah um but she like that show was all about her that's one of the memories i have about one of the most uh impressed memories i have that's just stuck in my brain actually with the pen that i was telling about earlier i'm holding here um my notes from that show that i took for the article i'm looking at like hana versus konami number nine it's on a yellow uh, sheet of paper that kumisai took but yeah it's like 
I don't know why, but those memories are really not strong, but they're really Oh, she was clearly the she was clearly the biggest star on the show. I mean She felt like Sasha Banks though. She felt like really like a a TV star, not just a wrestling star. Mayu mm-hmm. Iwatani, a pure wrestling star, right? Kagetsu, pro wrestling star, totally. Hani Kimura had that, but something else, like like pop charisma or something, mm-hmm. pop star charisma. And I, I remember at that show, it was her hair. Her hair was just like was so, you'll never forget that. The, the, it was kind of like braids with their pink neon pink they're huge and they're whipping around and i, I caught some pictures of her slamming hazuki against the uh the east side uh what is it the east side sign in mm-hmm. the crowd and her hair is whipping up in the air <laughs> and uh at, do you remember after when she won the uh finals do you remember what she called b Priestley? she called her beach Priestley. yes it's like she's she's awesome like I, I, everyone was ready everyone so ready to see what would happen. We were all waiting because it wasn't like, oh, she's probably going to be famous. It was, okay, she's ready to be famous. We just have to sit and wait. And then, and she was about to start Terrace House, I think, a couple months. I think right after that, right? I thought she was, she might have been filming at that time. Yeah, and it aired in January or something. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't know the details. I didn't follow the show, but I mean, the show wasn't on for that long. And she wasn't on the show for that long, but look how much, uh, uh, look how much she was the most talked about character. It seemed like on that show, at least one of them. And I, I thought it's like, how long is she going to be in Japan before she takes off and rules the world? Basically, is what I when I when I in my end thoughts that day is like, man, she's going to take over the world. It's Japan's not big enough for her. Yeah, it, that, I was thinking either that or she would become the face of stardom. You know, if, if stardom was because I think Bushi Road. Uh, acquired stardom in October, so it was pretty shortly after we saw that show. Mm-hmm. So there, the wheels were in motion. So I could have seen that too, but um, I, but on the other hand, I feel like the story is not even completely finished yet because there's a lot going on with her mother, yeah. Kyoko, and you know, it just happened. Everything just happened. We're still feeling it. I'm putting it out there. My dream final guest for the this the series of the podcast is Kyoko. I really want her to be the last guest. She's a very, very cool and interesting person. I haven't had the chance to meet her, but I, Fumi taught me a lot about her, and I got to learn a lot about her over the past couple of months. And Fumi's the best, too. Fumi, yeah. When I was there in March, unfortunately, my recorder crapped out halfway through, but he drove me around Tokyo, basically, showing me, okay, here's this dojo, here is this dojo. He drove me to the New Japan dojo and said, here's this where they train, this and that, so... Uh, Fumi was a real <laughs> cool guy for me too. I got to finally meet him in March. He's an absolute superstar. He's one of the best dudes I know. And, and I, with the Hana Kimura articles, I they wouldn't be in. I have to thank Garrett Gonzalez at Fight Game, and I have to thank Fumi because they made that happen. I, I wrote it, but Fumi really helped me a lot. Uh, Jim Valley too. Um, Jim Valley helped a lot too. He, and he, he called the uh, stardom matches with Fumi mm-hmm. last April. So yeah, Jim was the first guest on the podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He was, he gave me instant credibility because like I had nothing, you know, <laughs> I had nobody. And I, he's the first guy, or not the first person I reached out to, but he's the first person that said yes to me. He'd do it. So 
is real cool. He's another guy. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that I can get back on the podcast before before he, uh, the podcast ends. Hope so. Hope reaching, so. Fingers crossed for him. Reaching, sending some love to, to Jim Valley right now. For too, sure. So, thinking yeah. about him every day. Jim, if you, if you listen, we're thinking about you. We'll Absolutely. see you soon. I'm here you soon too. On the yes. Joshi Pod, hopefully. Yes. Again, Jim, Jim, get well. We need you on the Joshi Pod. <laughs> but yeah, Fumi is great, and he helped a lot with the article. It would be, it'd be really cool. If, so how did, how did you transition from fan to wanting to do more than just being a fan? So I was attending grad school. I moved back. I was living in Japan, and then I moved back to the States. Well, hold on. Time out. How did you end up in Japan? <laughs> oh, okay. Rewind. Yep. Rewind. Time out. Uh, the first time I came to Japan was in 2005. I was here for two weeks. I, I, played, I was a musician. I was playing shows. I played two shows in Tokyo. And that was... That was different though because I wasn't doing any wrestling. I was just the first time I went to the country, and there's just a lot of different stuff going on. Later, give us more details. What kind of music were you playing? What were you doing? Uh, I played. Uh, I played the first ever international death metal festival called Tokyo Death Fest 2005. <laughs> uh, I played for a band called. Are you ready? It's called Mucopus. <laughs> we were on a Japanese label. We were on a label called Amputated Vein out of Osaka, and. They and a, another Tokyo label put on. They were smaller shows. There, the one was at Shibuya Cyclone. It's like four or five hundred people capacity, and the, the pre-shows at in Shinjuku was really tiny, super tiny. Um, but that was my first uh, experience with that. I was doing music, uh, and then I went later in life. I went and got my music degree. I went to study music theory, and I got a performance a guitar, jazz guitar performance degree. Did that. Um, after uh, I finished music school, I was really, 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 really burned out on music and opportunity came up to teach English in Japan. Mm. And I had, I had a minor in English too. And I wanted to start, I was writing comics and I was going to, I wanted to do more English related stuff. that was making me more happy. And I got the opportunity to teach for a company in Japan and I ended up staying there for um, a little over three years. And I moved back to the States a couple of years ago to attend grad school. And when I got to grad school, I, you know, I, I was a fan. I am a fan. I'm always watching wrestling, reading about wrestling. And I was attending grad school for book publishing. And during my time there, I was looking for projects to kind of add to my portfolio. Um, you know, just if, if there was a chance to do wrestling-related stuff, it's like, cool, whatever. And I was going to, you know, as a student, I would do it for reasonable prices and such. And that led me to helping out with the Sabu uh, autobiography, biography, autobiography, ghostwritten thing. Um, that was the first real wrestling writing gig I got, and that was in 2018. And right after- How'd that come about? Uh, I knew the, the writer, his name was Kenny Casanova. I knew him from way back in the day, because when I was really young, I used to train at like a kid's wrestling camp in Schenectady called it was NGW. It was, it, was, it was basically like a, it was a indie that was in Schenectady. And on Saturdays for a while, they'd do something where like the kids would, you pay like five bucks and you train for a couple hours with the local guys and you do snap mares and fall, take bumps on the crash pad and <laughs> do really, really, really basic like wrist locks and, 
it was in the like late nineties too. So nobody was doing six forties or whatever. I mean, a plancha <laughs> was a huge deal. So yeah, it did that. And one of the guys in charge of it, Kenny Casanova, he was just, I had known him for years and I reached out cause I knew he, he does, he, he was helping write wrestlers biographies, like ghostwriting them or, or writing or transcribing things. So I just reached out to him. I said, hey, man, uh, I'll proofread this if you want. And I looked at it and it turned into something else. So I just ended up doing that. And that was cool. And from there, a couple months later, I applied for a gig at Wrestling Observer. They had a, an ad out for they just needed new writers. It was around the time uh, when All In was about to happen. So there were a lot, a lot of shows were debuting. Like MLW had debuted. And, ROH was really, really busy, and New Japan was really hot, and so they hired me from there, and the rest is history, as they say. Well, it's not, it's only two years, but it's not really history, but that, that's pretty much how I got started, like, working in wrestling, and um, when I went to Japan, I, I just treated it like I do any of my writing jobs. I, like you said, I just, I wrote about it, and I just, I don't know what else to do. I, I think I just trained myself to not think about it and just do the work and put it out. I hope it's good. Cross my fingers. That's, that's all I, I can do. That's how I am every Thursday night when I put the podcast out. I was like, oh, I hope this one doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> there, hope people don't think this one sucks. There's no, there's no, like the only people I think, like creators that put stuff out and if they're like, oh man, ah, this is, oh, I'm awesome. This is awesome. Almost all. 100% of the time that thing sucks and only they like it. I, when I was in music school, one of my advisors told me like, no matter what, no matter how good you get, you'll only really come about 80% as close to your, your vision as you, uh, as you try or as you aim for. Like, it's okay. And it's good. You're good. So and we, we're all in weird states, but it's cool that we're uh, not being arrogant about it. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite. <laughs> I, I'm always like, uh, like uh, worried about being caught as a fraud or something that I'm, I'm not good at what I'm doing. And, you no, know. Well, I, I don't know why you would say that. I've heard, listen, there are a lot of wrestling podcasts and you're, the fact that you have an intro makes you really a high, high, high step above many, many of them. <laughs> so you know how, how I like to think about it? Because I'm kind of that way too. I just, I think the standard it stays really low, so... That now I can jump in and <laughs> contribute. He's like, well, the standards though. That and yeah, I think you take pride. I mean, I know I take pride in my work, and I'm sure you take pride in your work as well too. So that's that's another reason why I think I'm harder on myself because I take a lot of pride in what I do. Yeah, for, for me, it's pride slash neuroticism. Like, I'm really <laughs> weird. Like I get it's like detail oriented to yeah. It's I feel like I have to get it out, but it's rooted in passion i guess but this that might be more for like a therapist i need to tell so <laughs> i don't need to uh ex unless you want me to elaborate but um i'd rather talk wrestling <laughs> so where where are you where are you living at now what's your address what's your uh, home phone number <laughs> uh what was uh, mean gene's hotline number 1-900-909-9900 yeah you can reach me at extension two <laughs> uh no i'm in portland oregon right now are you guys on fire right now or no? Uh, no, but something definitely is. It sure smells like it. Um, yeah. It's been a hell of a year. I, I didn't 
I, I came here because the school had the program that I was attending. That's why I'm here. I mean, and it was because when I moved here, my wife and I got married. My wife's from Japan, and I'm from New York. That's where my family is, and Portland would be, a, in theory, a good mid, middle spot between New York and Japan. Because you know, holidays we, we have to switch. We can't go both places. So that was the impetus for that.、Mm. And then,、um, yeah, in Portland now it's weird、um, because first it's COVID, and then it was、uh, like when the national they did the national kind of in May. They, what was it? They didn't say COVID was gone or anything, but they, they the quarantine was over, right?、Mm-hmm. And within days, is, that's when the protests at downtown Portland started happening. So there wasn't. It feels like there wasn't any like hold up or. There wasn't any. What is it? There wasn't any break. It was just I've been inside all year. And, yeah, there's、uh, no time. No time to breathe, basically. Yeah, and and now if I go outside, I literally can't breathe. <laughs> Because, I'll show you some pictures, but I, the Multnomah County Twitter I saw earlier today posted that standing outside right now for five minutes is equivalent to inhaling 15 cigarettes or something. I think that is a little exaggerated, but it's pretty smoky and it's gross. Like we can't open the windows because it smells like a campfire as soon as you open it. I don't know what's going on. So we have the same thing going on here in San Diego as well. There's ash in the air every single day right now, and it's it's a mess down here too. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. So I hope it rains or settles down soon. That's what we just need rain, right? Yeah. So what's the, what's the wrestling scene like up in Portland? Uh, well. Right at this exact moment, pretty non-existent. But, <laughs> but uh, since actually, right around the time we moved here is when a company called Defy Wrestling launched around 2017, and they're based out of Seattle. But I would consider them the main. They really kind of revitalized wrestling in the Pacific Northwest over the past couple of years because there were some strange,、uh, like older laws in Washington about、um, like it would be. Basically, I guess it was really, really expensive, inordinately expensive, to get licenses and blood tests for all the wrestlers to put on a show. It was it was basically impossible. I guess it had something to do with how WWF structured it in the '90s, so that no other companies could run those areas. But when they started, to, there, there's a there are a lot of details that I'm leaving out. So Google is out there, but the Portland the Portland WrestleCast is out there too on the Wrestling Observer. That's right. Yeah, covering、uh, Portland. The old Portland scene is very interesting, and I, I, I learned more about it from Jim while I was here. I felt like I was walking around; he was kind of guiding me while I was listening、hmm. to the podcast. I love that. I want to go to the Bomber Hotel or whatever it is. I guess it closed recently. Ah, yeah.、Um, I just maybe a year or so ago. I think they. I don't know if they either tore it down or it's not the Bomber anymore. But I've heard good things. With Defy Portland,、uh, they started coming to Portland. They started and they started running at、um, kind of like rock venues, not、um, sports venues, but like Boston Ovoid Ballroom or was it was Boston Ovoid? It was、uh, Hawthorne Theater, excuse me. Yeah, so that was getting really popular, and all the shows were really stacked, and they were filled with people, really enthusiastic people. And I would say, when I was attending those shows. That was like the, the prototype for AEW because the fans are really similar. I, I felt like kind of 
more forward thinking, not forward. I just, they want something that's not like WWE. And a lot of the people that were wrestling in Portland and Seattle, they ended up just signing with AEW later anyway. So it has that flavor, has that alternative flavor. Um, the last show I went to was in January and there was Luchasaurus and Marcus Stone and Stronghearts, Killer Cross. So there are a lot of great talent, but they're also names. And they're also cool new talent. So Defy is what I would check out. But um, because of everything that's going on in the Pacific Northwest, it's just, it's especially not happening. Like there was supposed to be a Defy show it's supposed to be down the street from where I live at the Crystal Ballroom. It was scheduled for, I think, the 26th, but it was supposed to be with Progress. They announced uh, like a West Coast tour, Progress Defy tour, Progress from England, but mm-hmm. it's just you know, things are different now. So, um, the Defy brings, I mean, okay, here's, here's what I thought Defy did. I thought they took the old PWG vibe and took it to the Northwest. I love that. Yeah, but uh, I've heard that though. But I heard it, so I, I agree with you completely, but last year at the Super J Cup in Tacoma, El Fantasmo got up on the mic and said that, but he said it in a really negative way. Let's just say, he, he said uh, that all the Defy fans are just wannabe PWG fans, <laughs> which I thought was an awesome heel line. But that was when, when he said that, I go, oh, yeah. I mean, the way you said it is much more polite and maybe more accurate. <laughs> there is that, like, people just, they're hardcore fans, they know what to expect and they want top-notch stuff. They're not just casuals looking to like, have a laugh. They want great wrestling and they know where to react. And, they, and for Defy, a lot of those fans are really willing or like, um, merciful. Like, if some wrestlers botch moves or things go wrong people don't have a vibe where they're, they're gonna swear at the wrestlers it's not it's not like going to shows 20 years ago it's just a different vibe different culture at the shows um, now i haven't gone to a defy show yet. i want to go i'm gonna go to a defy, a defy show it's on my one of my bucket list things to do is to go to a show up there but what i see on the on streaming whatever it looks like when pwg was at the small place in Reseda. Mm-hmm. That's what it reminds me. They're at the new place now, and it's it's a whole different PWG. But yeah, Defy reminds me of when we were uh, when we used to go to the shows in Reseda, and it was hot and cramped, and all kinds of things like that. And the crowd was just insane from start to finish. That's what Defy reminds me of. I I I could see that. I I haven't. I've never been to Reseda shows, but I, people have said similar things, and it definitely has its own flavor. I mean, the weather is different. It's I, it looks like it. The place that they usually run their show is Washington Hall. It looks like an old, like a high school or something. It looks <laughs> like it used to be something like that. But yeah, it's definitely got that. Like a lot of the same faces are going to the shows, but those faces are enthusiastic. They're loose. They're, they're having a great time. They're buying tons of merch. Everyone's buying drinks. Like you don't see people getting fights with each other, like at some sports or other wrestling events. Um, like you get a good vibe when you, mm. it's, it's like, it feels more like a rock show than, than, um, a house show. You know what I mean? And it feels like it matters then that night. Yeah. PWG is kind of cool too. Cause if somebody started getting rowdy or, you know, not fitting in, 
they would squash that person, not literally, but you know, they would just squash it right away and say, Hey, if you want to stay here, you need to not be that way. You need to be like the rest of us are. Yeah. There was like a, a culture of monitoring each other because it's more or less every, if you're going to a PWG show, I don't know about now, but let's say like 2006, it's like everybody is kind of already on the same page. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you don't just casually go to a show like that. isn't it like isn't it super expensive too oh it's gotten crazy yeah when i yeah. first started going was it 12 years ago to pwg shows it was 25 bucks 30 bucks for front row now it's 100 and something bucks for front row so it's yeah it's a, it's a whole different ball game now yeah so it's like you're not going to get somebody now to just casually go drop a hundred dollars on a wrestling show i mean unless it's something special and awesome and you sell it that way but in general yeah yeah I think they're definitely, they have things in common, but I think PWG has, well, I don't know. You'd probably be the one to tell. You have a better opinion than I would, because I've, I've only seen it um, video. I have never been to any of the shows. So you need to come down here. I need to go up there to watch shows. Yeah. Hey, let's make it happen. We'll do we, a tour I swap. To, I need to take you to Tijuana, too, to watch a show at the Auditorio in Tijuana. I'd actually, I'd love to, love to, love to, love to. That's Tijuana. Arena Mexico is, I want to go to, I've had plans to go to Mexico that always get canceled. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I just hope that the world stops freaking out and exploding like it is right now. <laughs> literally but, uh, literally yeah. exploding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even need to make a stupid joke. It's just bad. It's just bad and uh, I, I stay inside and end up watching and talking about wrestling all the time, so. Yeah, I got a, a a person I know tested positive today, and people I'm, I've been around recently, so I'm I'm home for the next two weeks quarantining. So, jeez, oh, well, and got my test this morning. Crossing my fingers, I'm not positive. Oh, good luck. Yeah, well, two weeks you can do a lot of podcasting in two weeks. Just saying. <laughs> Let's see. I got you today. I got one after you. I've got one Monday, one Tuesday, one Wednesday. So I'm telling you, I'm going out with a bang, dude. <laughs> okay. If I hear uh, anything, if I get any bites, I'll pass them your way too. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me, okay, you did the theme for the Joshi pod. Tell me about the theme for the Joshi pod, how you decided to do what you did. I gave you a carte blanche to do whatever you wanted and I love it. And kind of tell me what you did. Well, when I started messing around with it, everything I made was, sounded stupid to me. So I was like, God, this is, boom, this isn't working. And for some reason, I'm like, this needs a guitar. I don't know why I wanted to use a guitar. So I played some guitar on it, but it wasn't working. And then I'm just like, okay, how Joshi Pod, Joshi, what, was, what would most fans think when they say, when they say Joshi? Manami right. Toyota, that's fair, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I took her theme, her... Um, I took her, I ripped her theme off YouTube into an MP3, and then I ran it through filters in at the beginning, and I added some guitar over it, and then um, and then I unfiltered it and polished it up, and made it all shiny, and made it its own weird mashup Joshi Pod original tune. I wanted to give it some kind of like some connection to the past somehow. And I was originally trying to do something with the bell at the beginning of All Japan Women. Did you ever watch the TV show where it's like, like do a close-up on the bell, it's like, ding. I love I want it. to do something like that. Maybe we'll have a remix coming soon. I don't know. I have to maybe, work on Maybe it. for the next incarnation of it. Yeah. Well, what would you want to hear? Well, like, as a, you're the host of the Joshi Pod, so 
What do you think a Joshi fan would want to hear in a theme song? Idol singers. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> Actually, that's a great point. That's a, that's a very good point. I didn't consider it. I can't. I'm my, happy, voice, yeah. my voice doesn't get that high, though. <laughs> I'll put a little tiny dress on and maybe it'll, it'll come to you. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm just inside, I don't got anything else to do. You never know, man. <laughs> no, just kidding. Channel, yes. your inner, channel your inner baby metal. <laughs> oh, are they babies still? Aren't they, aren't they legal aged metal? It's one, two, three kid. He'll be a kid the rest of his life. Uh, he's also, he's X-Pac. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's the man. He's cool. <laughs> the heartbreak kid is still a kid. Uh, there's a lot I want to say, but I got to remember I'm on a podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. so do, you, do you enjoy mixing music? And I mean, you, you got the musical background. Do you enjoy mixing and using more modern type um, equipment to, to modernize some music? Yeah, I took a long break. I didn't really plan on doing any music stuff ever, really. But when the pandemic hit, especially in the initial quarantine, I remember... Um, reading that website, The Verge, theverge.com, and there was this little advertisement blog article <clears throat> listing a bunch of free like iPad uh, digital audio software, like synthesizers and Moog. And, I don't know, just cool little free things. Things that are maybe cost $50, dollars $100 or more. You know, if it's free, sure, I'll check it out. And then when I started checking things out on my iPad, um, old man Justin realized, oh my God, technology just passed me by since I graduated music school because I graduated from university in 2012 or 2013. So it's not that long ago, but good Lord, everything in music tech is a lot different, a lot different. And, um, but the learn, I, I, it's like stuff that kind of already know. So it's been interesting and I had the time on my hands because, you know, we're inside a lot more than usual. So yeah, it's been really interesting and kind of giving my brain some new stimulation. And it's a great way to wind down from watching three, four hours of wrestling. It's completely you know, opposite part of my brain. So doing them together kind of feels good. I'm just kind of getting my rig started you know restarted and just trying to have fun with it and if anybody needs that music i'm making tons of tunes where can we uh, find you on social media justin to to reach out to you find me at justin and nipper at, uh on twitter so it's at justin and nipper k-n-i-p-p-e-r um for the music stuff you can check out my soundcloud page i know i don't think soundcloud is very cool i think it seems lame and the people kind of tell me that it's lame, but that's where I put all my stuff because it's easiest for me, but type in uh, interbeing JMK. So soundcloud.com backslash interbeing JMK and you can find my stuff. Uh, I should probably, can I put the, uh, the theme on there? You want me to put the, uh, theme yeah, on please. There? Yeah. please. Yeah. I'll, uh, I think I, I remixed, I remixed it. I made it, second version sound i think i sent it to you so mm -hmm. yeah so yeah otherwise uh and if you want to read my wrestling writing uh, i'm on the observer i cover new japan strong right now on the observer website f4w online 
and that's their their stuff they're doing in north america right yeah it's the show that it's based out of california it's really cool it's different from the main new japan show but it's uh showcasing a lot of west coast talent uh danny limelight the real twins I'm trying to think who else adrian quest was on this week uh really like impressive impressive uh guy new guys and yeah it's good stuff so yeah, Adrian Quest, Limelight and Adrian Quest I've seen pretty much since the start of their careers down here. So, yeah, they're, they're I, both, they both improved a ton. I think it's quite a few um, California guys. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm watching a lot of uh, guys for the first time. I think mm-hmm. one of Carl Anderson's trainees is there. He's a young and tall guy. It's cool. It's worth checking out if you just want a, a no BS, just wrestling show. It's like not unlike um, 205 Live, NXT UK, just an hour of uh, wrestling, not any, no long-term angles. And these are a lot of the guys from the dojo in LA too, right? Yeah, dojo guys, uh, but you got you, Jeff Cobb was on this week, Kenta was in this week, uh, Gorilla's Destiny, Finley. So get the, uh, the US crew and whoever couldn't make it over to Japan for the G1. Uh, and, and speaking of G1, I think starting next week, I haven't really announced it yet, but uh, me and Carlos Toro from Fightful, uh, boxing journalist, combat writer, are going to be doing a mini G1 podcast for Fight Game Media. We're going to cover G1 from this month into October. We'll do a little mini recaps. So we'll be on the Observer, uh, excuse me, not the Observer, Fight Game website and podcast at the end of the day. So look out for that. Uh, and Garrett, Garrett's a lot on Fight Game, right? Garrett, it, uh, Fight Game is Garrett's baby. That's this thing. Uh, and the flagship podcast is him and John LaRocca hosting their main thing. Yeah. We're trying to expand more and make some more stuff for our YouTube page. There, if you ever need a Joshi show going forward, let me know. Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'll talk to you after. When we're finished, I'll, I'll, I'll talk. No, we'll talk. I, I love when, when Garrett's on the Observer. I mean, I like I like... Uh, Brian and Dave, but uh, Garrett's a whole different voice, and I, I like to hear that sometimes too. Garrett's man. What can yeah. I say? Double G. Um, <laughs> GG. You should call him GG. GG. Do you know what that means in Japanese, though? I have no idea. GG is kind of like grandpa. Oh. <laughs> oh, GG. Yeah, GG. Like, like you would say it to your own uh, family. You wouldn't say it to somebody else. Like, it's like Nana or something. <laughs> GG. Yeah, so. I don't want to call him that. He's not that old. That, <laughs> hey, guys, that's our Japanese lesson for today. Yeah. If you want to insult an old man, call him Gigi. I know. You're going to get me let go from Fight Game Media now. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, he's awesome. And there are a lot, there's a lot of stuff coming up over the next couple of months on Fight Game Media. It's cool stuff. So, guys, I'm gonna also gonna, on the show notes, I'm going to put the link to the, the articles that uh, Justin wrote about Hanakamura. I think it's very important to read those. Uh, this podcast has almost become a Hanukkah tribute since she passed away. And I'm trying to find every possible way and talk to every possible person to tell us how beautiful and wonderful she was. So, and uh, your, your articles were, were tremendous as well. Mm-hmm. And don't forget about Kyoko Kamura, everyone. Because she's a huge part of the story and she's, she's kicking ass despite everything that's happening. Um, yeah. She's, she's fighting a, a giant, giant corporations and uh, she's a tough woman. She needs all of our support. And she, and she is a part of Honda too, so it's like Honda's here. I couldn't imagine being in her shoes. I really couldn't. But you know, she had to live her life. She only Kyoko Kimura lived that life. 
Because if you read in part two, read where she's been. She's been all over the place, and she's she's inspiring. She's fearless. She doesn't care. She's you know she's a badass, like a real bad, a real life badass, not a pro wrestling badass, but a real. Damn, yeah, she is. Nice. She is. All right, Justin, thank you so much for being on the Joshi Pod, talking about the origin story, talking about your story. Um, maybe if uh, Joshi Pod Part 2 comes out sometime in the future, we'll have you back on again and with a, with a new theme song. Sure, all kinds of things. Maybe a whole album, I don't know. If anybody's got requests, tweet me. Can we do like a wrestling album, like with Hulk Hogan and the guys, and we can do our own Land of a Thousand Dances? So, yeah, we could do volumes of it. We could do Japanese themes. Um, <laughs> The sky is the limit, and you know we're inside. Hey, hit me up in this pet quarantine two weeks. You know, we'll do something funky. <laughs> that would be awesome, Justin. Again, thank you so much. A year ago today, he and I met each other and got to meet. I got to meet Emmy for the first time that day, and uh, got to bond over Ichikaya Chocolate Square and uh, the birth of the Joshi Pod. Well, the seed was planted. The birth wasn't quite yet, but the seed was planted that day, and uh, J- Justin was there to tell the tale as well. I can attest for sure. <laughs> Thank it you happens. so much. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. <laughs>